0: So why did Riverlife plant a second campus? Well, the answer is actually quite simple, to grow. See, there are a lot of things that should grow over our lifetimes. Say, our fashion sense. Ever look back at pictures from you, what you wore in the 90s? Come on, you know you're embarrassed. Ladies rocking those overalls and jellies. Yeah, it just looks embarrassing. Now, here's the thing to blow your mind. Ready? You're going to look back at pictures of yourself today, sometime in the future, and be equally embarrassed. Isn't that frightening? See, like, like there, there will come a day when we're embarrassed by what we're wearing today. Unless, of course, you look good as I do this morning. This will always stay in fashion. Okay, what else should grow over our lifetimes? Well, or maybe not what should, but what does, how about our waistline? You, come up, you, you know it's all true like my my spare tire back in high school was more like like a bicycle sprinter's tire. Now it's a little bit more like a monster truck tire. <laughs> and you know, and and now I, I just want to say, if it's been more than ten years and your gut hasn't grown a whole a whole lot, just know your friends hate you. <laughs> I love you because I have to, but your friends hate you. Okay. <laughs> And then what else should grow? Also, something that should grow over the years is our wisdom, at least hopefully. I mean, I hope you're making smarter decisions now than you were 10 years ago. Like, how many of you have one of those friends who just hasn't grown up since high school or college? Can you think of that person? Now, I I just want to say, if you can't think of that person, guess what? It might be you. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, but it's true. Like, I, we should be embarrassed about the decisions we made 10, 15, 20 years ago. Because if we're not, it means we're making the same decisions, and our wisdom hasn't grown over the years. So there are all kinds of things that should grow over the years. And one of the other things that should grow over time is the church. And today, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at three things. What church growth is, how it happens, and how you can be a part of it. But now, before I go too far, I want, I want to give some credit. that uh, Pastor Kong and I heard a, a version of this sermon from an, another Alliance church out in Pittsburgh. And they're 10 years old with three campuses so we're really inspired. It's called City Light Church. And, we were, and both of us, we were really inspired by this message about church growth because there are a few steps ahead of us, and they've been, they've been making some amazing decisions along the way. And so when we heard this, we were like, oh, we've got to share this with our congregation. So I, I absolutely want to give credit to one of their campus pastors, Mike Anderson, uh, for some of the amazing ideas that you're going to hear today. Uh, And thank God for another Alliance Church who's just a few steps ahead of us that we can look to for wisdom and inspiration. And so, there are a lot of ways a church can grow. But today, we want to zoom in. We want to focus in today on numerical growth, growing in numbers. So, did you know that numerical growth appears in the very first chapter of the Bible? This is a theme, this is a thread that runs all throughout Scripture from the very beginning. So in Genesis 1, God creates everything, including humans, including the very first man and woman. And see, they were created, we were created in God's image. We we were created to reflect God. To represent God. And after creating the first humans. God gave them a command. And he said this. Be fruitful and increase in number. And fill the earth. Some earlier translations you might know it as. Be fruitful and multiply. That that doesn't mean eat an apple and go to school. If you need me to explain that to you. Then we can go have that birds and bees talk after church here. Okay, But that was God's first command. And in other words, here's what God said. You are made in my image. I want you to make more of my image. In fact, I want you to fill the earth with my image. See, God was saying, fill the earth with the image of God for the glory of God. And so... Humans were commanded to have babies, one of the more fun ways to grow. And see, more human life meant more of the image of God. But before that could happen, the first man and the first woman turned away from God. They rebelled against God's love and God's authority over them. They chose their own way and thus introduced sin. And so now, as the human race grew, the image of God grew, but sin also grew. And we see that in the first few chapters up up to chapter 6 in Genesis, that sin grew more and more as people grew more and more but sin would, would not have the last word. See, God was still committed to filling the earth with his image, with more of his image for his glory. God was still committed to that. So eventually he sent his son, Jesus Christ. He sent his son to earth. And here's how Colossians 1.15 describes Jesus. The son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. You see, Jesus was the perfect image of God. He was what the first humans were supposed to be. And he came down as the full, complete, perfect image of God. See, now remember, we all carry both. The image of God and the stain of sin. But because of Jesus, we can reflect more and more of the image of God and less and less of the stain of sin. That's because of Jesus. Here's how the Apostle Paul describes this process. And we all who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory that's his image are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is spirit see what this means that if you believe in Jesus if you follow Jesus then you can reflect more and more of the image of God. So God is still filling the earth with more of his image for his glory, but his method has changed. His primary method has changed. God is still filling the earth with more of him through more believers in Jesus, more people. But for those believers in Jesus... As those multiply, then they can be transformed closer and closer to the true image of God. And that's because of Jesus. And because Jesus is the true image of God, that God can transform us as we follow, as we obey, as we spend time with Jesus. So here's a biblical description of church growth. Here it is. Growth is the increase of God's image on the earth through the increase of the number of disciples and churches. So it's not just about people anymore. It's about disciples and churches helping people follow Jesus and become more and more committed to him. That's what church growth is all about. And that's why we planted a second campus. That's why we're already talking about a third campus. It's to multiply the image of God through more people, more disciples, and more churches who are committed to Jesus Christ. So how does growth happen? How does growth happen? Well, see, we all intuitively know something. Healthy things grow. Healthy things grow. We all understand that idea. So take plants, for example. Healthy plants grow. Water, sunlight, fertilizer, and plants grow. That's generally how it works. Except, of course, if you're my wife. So some OGs have a green thumb, but what has a black thumb? A black thumb of death. See, literally, our house is where plants go to die. We've lost track of how many dead plants we've returned to Home Depot. But, and, you know, and it's true. So we discovered this very early in our marriage, we, early, a few years into marriage out in California, we moved into our first apartment, and it, it, they had a balcony, and they had some plants out there, and, and first day we moved in, and, and before we went out there, oh, these are really nice, and kind of felt them, and oh, these are great. I kid you not, they were dead by the end of the week. <laughs> she literally just has to touch them, so when we go to a really nice nursery, or we go to like Como Conservatory, we don't let her touch anything, because the whole place will just die out, and we'll get kicked out. It's horrible. Feed us to the tigers or something. And, and that, so, see, we understand this. We understand that healthy plants grow, and we also understand that healthy churches grow. That's how it works. And nowhere in, this, in the Bible is this better represented and better described than the book of Acts. Acts literally is a masterclass of church growth. I, I could just do the old flip, 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 boom. Pick any chapter in the book of Acts. And we could learn about how God grows churches. So today we're just going to look into one chapter. That's chapter 9. And it's about the conversion of Saul to eventually become who we know as the Apostle Paul. And so that's in Acts 9. And this literally, this is a front row seat to how God increases the his image on earth through one man and the church. And so the chapter begins, chapter verse one of chapter nine begins like this. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So Saul was a Pharisee, top level religious leader who was also the number one enemy of the church. He was filled with, with anger, violence, self-righteousness, and in the name of righteousness, he arrested, beat, and possibly even ordered the killing of Christians. He literally was the Putin of his time. He was just public enemy number one to the entire Christian church. So he was literally filling the earth with more and more evil. He was perpetrating the image of evil. That is until Jesus got a hold of him. Then one day in the middle of all of this, the risen Jesus appeared to Saul on a desert road, struck him down to the ground, spoke to him, and blinded him. And this transformation changed Saul forever. And God renamed him, repurposed him, restored him to say, you are now Paul. He went went from being the enemy of Jesus' people to one of Jesus' people. So after recovering with some Christians in in the nearby town of Damascus, here's what verse 19 says. Here's what he does next. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. At once, literally, he's still in his hospital gown, and he's preaching at the synagogue. He did not waste any time. So we see the first way that churches grow is through the proclamation of Jesus Christ. That's why every week, here and at Brooklyn Park, Pastor Kong and I talk to you about Jesus. Because that is the first way that churches grow. Now there's more, but it always has to start there. So this passage continues in verse 21. All who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on, on this name? Hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. See, Saul actually increases in power, wisdom, influence. Why? Because he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that's the other part that how God grows churches is he empowers his followers with the Holy Spirit. See, Saul was empowered by the Holy Spirit, not himself. He was able to engage in convincing debate with people who did not believe in him. In fact, very violently disagreed with Jesus because he's getting strength from God and he's not relying on his own strength, his own wisdom, his own training. God is using all of that, but the Holy Spirit is empowering them to be so much more. See, and that's, and that's what you'll need. If you want to engage non-believers, those who do not follow Christ, if you want to engage them in conversation, even debate, and do so being kind and caring and thoughtful and listen well, you need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. See, being strengthened by Christ himself, relying on what he thinks of you, not what you say about yourself. What he has promised you, not what you think you deserve. That is the only way to engage others without being defensive, attacking, insensitive, Or just plain jerkish. Being strengthened by Christ is how growth happens. Now, but things weren't all great for Paul. The next verse says this. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. So, now if you convert to Christianity or if you begin to take your faith more seriously, you will get opposition. You will. Now, it probably won't be death threats. I haven't known anyone here in America who gets death threats for for taking Jesus more seriously. But some of your family, some of your friends might openly criticize you or mock you or talk bad about you behind your back. Maybe it's your parents who want you to return to the traditional ways. Or maybe it's your drinking buddies who give you a hard time because you either don't want to go out with them or when you do, you don't want to drink. And they start pressuring you and forcing you. teasing you. Or maybe it's your sister or your cousin that you're really close to and, and she gets really upset and say, come on, you used to love when we would talk about other people. And you just don't want to do that anymore. So you will get opposition. But just make sure you that if you experience opposition or even persecution, make sure you're receiving that actually because of your belief in Jesus. There are plenty of Christians right now who who argue and, and shout persecution when they're really not being persecuted because they're Christians. They're being persecuted because they're jerks. Unfortunately, there are a lot of Christian jerks out there. The internet is full of them. Uh, Unfortunately, so are many churches. Fox News is full of them. Political offices, even some governor's mansions are full of Christian jerks. And they're not being criticized and persecuted because of their faith. They're being persecuted because they're a jerk. And the only way the only way to engage the world outside the church is by being empowered by the holy spirit so if you if you're feeling persecuted let it be because you are outrageously loving let it be because you are ridiculously forgiving Let it be because you are outlandishly kind, not because you're a jerk. And don't claim persecution, because let's be honest, here in America, no Christians are being persecuted. Just read the Christian news globally, and you'll understand. Christianity is still a very privileged state here in America. So if we're going to be persecuted, let's be persecuted for being loving, forgiving, caring, including, not for being a jerk. So how does growth happen? Well, the church grows when people and pastors boldly proclaim Christ. It's when people... You and me, normal people, are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be more than you are, more than I am. It's when people respond to opposition with radical love, radical kindness. Not shouting, not name-calling, but love. And kindness. And it, now it also helps as we saw from Saul's story. It also helps have a, a good set of friends who will break a hole in a wall. And sneak you out in a basket to save your life. That also helps. So how can you be a part of our growth? How can you be a part of the growth of river life? Well the end of this chapter has an amazing Line, Amazing picture of what it could look like for you to be a part of our growth. Now, I'm sure it's easy to picture how I or Pastor Kong or Shong can be a part of our growth. But what about you? Well, listen to verse 31. Then the church in Judea, Galilee and Samaria, enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in number. They lived in the fear of the Lord and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? Well, a healthy fear of the Lord is a profound reverence and awe for God's holiness his power, his absolute authority over us. The fear of the Lord is knowing that God is loving and just. And it also means that he has wrath over sin and that his wrath is loving and just. It's humble obedience, knowing that God doesn't owe us anything, not even life. That is fear of the Lord. But notice that's not all they lived in. The fear of the Lord is matched with the encouragement or the couraging of the Holy Spirit. See, God gives us the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, So how do you have encouragement while living in fear? See, that doesn't really make sense to us. It's because of what the Holy Spirit is doing in you. See, he's doing all that he did in the book of Acts. And he can do that in you. That is the encouraging of the Holy Spirit. He enables you to get courage for what Christ did for you. He died for you. See, fear of the Lord knows that the Lord can kill you. Fear of the Lord knows that our sins deserve death. But encouragement of the Holy Spirit knows that Jesus was the one who died. The one who was without sin died for those who were sin. The fear of the Lord drives us closer to Christ. For only in Him is there full payment for our sin, for our selfishness, for our evil and wicked ways. Fear of the Lord drives us closer to Christ because He is the only one who can save us. And encouragement of the Holy Spirit strengthens us to love all things, forgive all things, and endure all things. That's how you can be a part of our growth. Is fear the Lord and be encouraged by the Holy Spirit. We do the living, God does the growing. We live in the fear of the Lord, and we live in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. And God does the growing in us, through us, in our churches, in our geographies. We do the living. God does the growing. Join me in prayer. God, we approach you with reverence, knowing that you don't have to hear our prayers, knowing you don't have to give us blessings, but you you hear our prayers because we have a mediator in Jesus Christ. You give us blessings because you are a good father who knows how to give good gifts, and every good and perfect gift comes from you. God, thank you for all that you are that we don't deserve. The biggest of which is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, let us be a church and let us be a people that speak about Jesus. That fear you. That love well that are encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Grow us, Lord. Grow us to have more of your image, not my image, not the image of our name, but more of your image here on earth. Your image in St. Paul, in Brooklyn Park, in the Twin Cities, in Wisconsin. More of your image for your glory, not ours. So we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord, amen.